0: Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm so excited that you're here with us. We've got something a little different, a little fresh for you, a little newer. So a few years ago, Pastor Chad and myself, my name is Eric, we started a podcast through our church, Preaching Christ Church, and we are working very hard on launching a new podcast for Awaken to Grace, and these are some of the older episodes that we did just here a couple of years ago. We wanted to share our favorites with you guys, and hopefully that gives you something to look forward to coming in the new year. So we've got um, several topics that we're discussing, trying to to push out some more content with our podcast, but here's a few of our old ones. We hope you enjoy them. Give us some feedback on Facebook. If you like them, let us know, and uh, we will have some great content coming for you very soon. Welcome to the Preaching Christ Church podcast. Today, we have a very special episode for you. We're joined by Pastor David Ham of Times Square Church in New York City. Pastor David talks about the struggles of being a church in such a large city, the struggles of parenting, and a project close to his heart called God Belongs in My City. I know you will love listening to Pastor David on this episode of the Preaching Christ Church podcast.
1: We are so excited today to welcome Pastor David Ham from Times Square Church. Uh, Times Square has been such a model church to us and has uh, not only taught our church how to go into prayer in a deeper way, in a more faithful way, but many of the churches all around the world, they have impacted. And uh, one of my favorite pastors of Times Square Church is Pastor David Ham. Many of us on staff, we listen to his sermons on a regular basis through their app. And uh, Pastor David, it is our joy to welcome you today. Oh, and just uh, for our listeners who have never come across you, yeah. tell us a little bit about yourself and about how you came to know the Lord. Absolutely.
2: Thank you, Pastor. It really is a joy to be here with you guys. Um, it's really a blessing, and I thank God for this opportunity. Uh, man, it's been a journey. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, both my parents uh, served in ministry. Uh, my dad was a pastor. Uh, my mom very active in ministry, and uh, and so of course, uh, you know, I was like almost like that typical PK uh,
3: in yeah. a lot of ways. <laughs> uh,
2: you know, just lived life in church yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know three or four services on a Sunday in um, on the Wednesday or Tuesday uh, no it was a Wednesday night prayer service Friday night youth yeah. service <laughs> Saturday something was going on at the church and we just had to be there my brothers and I just because mom and dad were there yeah. and then back at it Sunday so that was life growing up um, I remember just a, a couple particular moments where I realized this was something that was going to be real to me mm-hmm. um, when I was when I was five. Um... Uh, I had the opportunity to really kind of experience what water baptism was like. Um, and uh, I grew up in a small town in Virginia. Oh, okay. uh, Yeah, in the Hampton Roads area near Virginia Beach. Okay. And uh, we went down to a river called the James River, and uh, <laughs> where I was baptized at the James River. But I remember at five years old uh, getting baptized and realizing, like, this is a special moment. Like, this really symbolizes who I am publicly uh, before men and women as a believer in Christ Jesus. It was an awesome moment for me. Um, and then of course, you know, life went on, um, you know, elementary school, high school. And then of course those high school years, again, as a typical PK, just battling with just my identity, um, and kind of living in the shadows of my parents and just who they were as pastors and leaders and, and their faith went through some really ch- tough challenges, uh, in my senior year and into my freshman year in college, where I strayed away from my faith. Uh, I had a pretty, uh, tough wake up call, um, where I recommitted my life to the Lord and and got back on track. And and I've been moving forward by faith, uh, highs and lows for the glory of Jesus Christ since then. That's the (laughs) short and condensed (laughs) version of it all real quick. how, How old were you when you were called to ministry? Oh man. So I, um, I always had a sense of knowing that God was calling me to ministry, um, I fought against it for many years like f- for the most part through the last 2 years of high school right into my first 2 years of college I really pushed against this whole idea of and how I how I perceived it was Following in my dad's footsteps, like that's 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 the only way I could process it. You know, Mm -hmm. it it still wasn't sinking in that this was the Holy Spirit stirring my heart to do ministry. It was just like, you know, what I've had like a hundred people all through life telling me you're gonna be just like your daddy, you're (laughs) gonna be a preacher just like your daddy, and I hated that, right? And um, and so um, it wasn't until I had like a, a a breaking point in at Bible school, so. Yeah, I had went to Bible school, and I was still like fighting against God's plan to and this calling. Um, but I had a breaking point where just nothing was going right. I, I had I had a sense, uh, this overwhelming sense of failure. It wasn't depression, but I was dealing with some anxiety. Um, uh, I struggled to be a people pleaser, um, and. Everything just seemed to just fall apart and it was in my second year in Bible school mm-hmm. and uh, just had kind of like this crazy wild outburst in the dormitory and uh, got into my 1984 blue Mercury Topaz and <laughs> just started driving through a blizzard mm-hmm. like out of nowhere uh, from the, just outside of the city of Rochester heading to New York City. I don't know, I was like, I didn't know where I was going, I was just going. And, um, and I had to pull over on the side of the road and, uh, and I cried out before God mm-hmm. and I was like, Lord, this, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I, I, it wasn't a this audible voice, but I got a clear sense in my heart that the Lord was like, I know what's going on mm-hmm. and I have a plan for you and you just got to surrender and trust me. And, uh, I ended up turning back around and heading back to the school and finishing my time.
1: Very good. Yeah. Now, tell us about your wife. How did you guys meet and your family? Yeah.
2: Um my wife and I met at Liberty University. Okay. Uh yeah, in wow, 1994. Okay. Yeah, we were both 19 years old and um uh, and I had just I, it was my it was my second year. I was a sophomore at Liberty University. She was a freshman and um and I had that was when I had just recommitted my life to the Lord. Okay. Um just asking God to just uh have his way in my life, but still wrestling with a lot. And my mama said, she goes, go back to school, be fully given to the will of the Lord, fully surrendered. He's gonna bring you your wife. And sure enough, I went back to Liberty University, uh, made some hard decisions, had to cut off some relationships, got back on track and three weeks into the sophomore year, I met my wife. And there she was. And I was like, (laughs) she (laughs) the one. She the one. And uh, and and of course, uh, you know, you know, God did it by his grace. And I after that sophomore year, that's when I packed up and it was just so much stuff that I had gone through, hard lessons learned uh, while in those two years in college that I was like, I need to get out of here. And I said, maybe I'll just go to this Bible school that my dad went to, right? So there, there I am yeah. again, right? Like yeah. following in my dad's footsteps. And uh, I, I, I told my wife, then girlfriend, um, I'm going to Bible school, uh, upstate New York. And she was like, that's cool, but uh, God hasn't called me there. And then I prayed through the summer that the Lord would put it on her heart. And eventually she joined me and came and, and then we went to Bible school together. Yeah. how many children do you have? we got three kids. Three? Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. We've, how we, old? We've got a senior in high school right now. His okay. name is Zion. He's our only son. Yeah. And then we've got two girls, uh, our oldest girl, Zaina. She's a freshman in high school. And our youngest, Zoe, uh, she's a fourth grader. Fantastic. Yeah. yeah. How wonderful. So
1: tell us, what led you to Times Square Church? How did you end up on staff there?
2: Oh, man. Uh, We (laughs) we got another three hours? (laughs) 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 Um, uh, Growing up in the Hampton Roads area, I remember uh, an old-fashioned crusade. I was 10 years old. old Old-fashioned crusade, and we showed the cross and the switchblade. And that night after the Cross and the Switchblade was shown, you know, back then when we did Old Fashioned Crusades, it, there was no time limit. You know what I mean? So, that, yeah. you know, once they had rented that tent, we stayed under that tent like all day. Because <laughs> if you remember, you know, that, the Cross and the Switchblade was like an, almost two hours long, that movie. And then after that movie, Nicky Cruz walked up on the stage. Mm. I remember still today, at 10 years old, wowed by that movie. I didn't, I, I didn't fully understand it all, but I was like, but all of this that I just saw with this whole preacher and this young gang leader and, and the way you know this preacher went after him and how he gave his life to Jesus Christ and this preacher was relentless, I didn't even fully grasp it, but I remember at 10 going, I don't know all about this, but I want to be a part of it. And I went to the back and I bought Nikki Cruz's book, Run, Baby, Run, went up to the front and I had him sign my Run Baby Run book, and I remember, and he patted me on the top of my head and was like, God oh, bless you, young man, God bless you, like that. <laughs> and I went home and I read that book through the summer four times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it stuck with me. And again, I think the Lord was just shaping in me. Now that I look back, I know the Lord was just kind of stirring in my heart a burden and a passion for inner city ministry. Mm-hmm uh... little did i know fast forward that i would graduate from college um, head to New York City to be a youth pastor, serve for a little bit, but still wanting to be an actor and be involved in creative art and theater. And I didn't know how it was all going to work out. Youth ministry, theater, art, film. Mm. And all of a sudden I got a phone call from an old friend saying, hey, there's an audition for this off-Broadway show called Run, Baby, Run. It's about the life story of Nikki Cruz. I know you're doing youth ministry, but would you be willing to audition? Of course. <laughs> uh, went downtown to the Lower East Side Auditioned, landed the role of the Warlord of the Bishops, the antagonist to the character Nikki Cruz. And uh, that began my journey of touring with Nikki Cruz for two years on the road as an actor. But as an actor on the road with Nikki Cruz, God was stirring in my heart a greater passion, a burden, and a desire to reach inner city kids throughout the world. Um, finished the tour. Thought my time was done, kind of went through a six month low where I didn't know what was going to happen next. My son was born, my wife and I still just young, a young couple. Nikki Cruz called us, um, called my wife and I to a dinner meeting. And invited us to be the directors of his ministry for Nikki Cruz Outreach, wow. where I would train inner city young people all throughout the New York City area to develop creatively, evangelistically, sharing their testimony, their gifts, their talents for the glory of Jesus through inner cities all across the world. And there begin an eight-year journey of working with Nikki Cruz. And then shortly after that, as God saw me through that season, of course, through those eight years, my relationship with Times Square Church obviously began to grow. As I would have the opportunity to be his armor bearer, I'd be mm-hmm. Nikki Cruz's armor bearer when I'd go mm-hmm. to Times Square Church and visit. And I'd be shaking in my boots when I'd go to the back <laughs> and meet Pastor David Wilkerson. Oh, you know, no you know, he's like, you know, he's the modern day prophet of our yeah, time, right? Yeah, and yeah. I used to be like, oh man, he's gonna read all my thoughts. Oh man, he's gonna know all of my dirt. He's gonna know all of my mess. <laughs> you know, and um, but it's just amazing how I was on this journey, and, and, and I had no idea of just the perfect plan that God was, was shaping and carving out for me. Um, and so from out of Nikki Cruz Outreach, uh, Pastor Carter Conlon welcomed my family into Times Square Church, and it's really been an honor. The two bookends of ministry for me, Nikki Cruz Outreach and Times Square Church. Mm. Tremendous. Yeah. Wow.
3: So you mentioned inner city families um, and it seems like we talked on the drive over here about yeah. working in uh, New York and how the different cultures and you know, it's a, it's a global city. Sure. blending blended families, blended cultures. Uh, so a lot of the next conversation, uh, it evolves around that. So what are some unique challenges, uh, in New York city for ministry? I mean, I know there's so many people, so many different cultures. Big uh, time. How do you yeah. overcome those challenges?
2: Yeah, we, uh, we, we fast and pray a lot, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think, you know, this is a conversation that we actually have at the church all the time, um, just because our community is very transient. Um, they're in and out They're you know, um, we are multicultural, um, and it's just a lot of people. And so, uh, we have a responsibility to, to understand our community how diverse it is uh, to be able to to be all things to all people. Um, Recently we've just started a new initiative called Things For You, where we've created several different uh, areas of of community involvement that, that drive us as a church to be outside of our four walls and to be amongst the people, to get to know who's around and who's there. One of them being uh, uh, a soccer club. And uh, it's just just once a week, we go down to our local park where we know there's already pickup soccer games already and we play soccer with guys. Mm. Well, because of um, my past, I go down and I play soccer. So I love soccer. I grew up playing soccer. My parents were missionaries, so I, I I left out that earlier. But my parents were missionaries in Nigeria for two years uh, during my middle school years. So that was a big thing for me because my mom homeschooled us, and uh, we were done by noon. And then my brothers and I'd go out and we'd play soccer every day, uh, with with the exception of Sunday, for two straight years. So then when we got back to Virginia, um, we were. Quite skilled, to say the least, and then I went on to play collegiately um, and get a scholarship. So. These old bones right now in their 40s are, um, are still trying to get out to the field and play. I'm, now I'm getting a whooping put on me uh, for the most part uh, every Tuesday night. And, um, and I say Tuesday night. Yes, it's Tuesday night. So check this out. So Tuesday night, as you know, is our worldwide prayer meeting. And that ends roughly about 9 o'clock. I change right there at the church, and I head down to the West Side Highway about four or five blocks away to play pickup soccer till 11 o'clock at night till they turn the lights off on us. I say all that to say this, I have learned a lot about the culture and the people in our neighborhood since I've started playing soccer on Tuesday nights. Did not realize until I started playing soccer, the Muslim population, the huge Muslim population that we have in our community, the the Hispanics that we have in our community and where they're from and, and, and how they operate and and the way they're just kind of wired. There's a huge Middle Eastern population, um, and, it's just, and it's been such a blessing to just go down there to play with them. I had the most un- interesting moment uh, a couple of weeks ago where another guy from our church was there. His name is RTM, and he actually leads up this whole soccer program of just being amongst the people and playing ball with them. And so I and a guy who is a Muslim hears me go, call RTM's name, one of our congregants, and he goes, Where do you know RTM from? And I said, oh, we go to the same church. And he goes, you go to church? I said, yeah, I just left uh, my prayer meeting. And he goes, oh, well, I just left the mosque. That's where I go. And I went, okay, great, man. Well, let's play some soccer. (laughs) And he's like, okay. Almost wide-eyed expecting me to just rebuke him or condemn him immediately. Now, I'm, I'm not excusing where he is. Knowing that he's lost and he needs to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but there's a strategy in what we're doing, and I'm getting to know him first. I'm I'm getting to, to, to hang out with him. I'm getting to play soccer with him. And recently, this same guy that responded this way brought his two young kids up, his son and his nephew, to our Backpack Outreach Giveaway. Um, just following that interesting conversation. And so here's how God works. So RTM brings them up to our backpack outreach. His son and his nephew get backpacks and he's standing there and he's, he's already feels comfortable because we play soccer with him. But then it leaves room now for him to ask this question. He asked RTM this question, why do you do this? And RTM goes, because we believe that God's called us to love people, to care for them and to meet their needs. And so this is why you're here, and this is why we're here with you. And right there in that moment, it's a God moment. Right there in that moment, the Lord is leading us how to impact culture in our community.
3: That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, that goes into the next uh, question that we want to discuss is um, how have you felt God's heart for the people of New York? I know through playing soccer and things like that, and I've heard some of your story about being in Nigeria, so it's not just New York, but you know not only new york and these places like this but inner city families families who you know we serve we can continue to serve 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 but a lot of um of these families expect us to want something in return like we serve yeah. them but we want them to do something for us yeah. and that's not the case with these families we want to go out and serve them so how do you how do you continue to feel god's heart in serving even though it can be exhausting you know when you get yes. home at 11:30 at night from playing soccer you're probably ready for bed yeah how can you Um, overcome that? How do you continue to feel God's heart in working with inner city families in this area?
2: That's a great question. And it really has been a journey to to stay committed, to continue to to love on people, to care for people. Uh, For me, it has been a process of keeping the burden alive in my heart. You know, there has to be a burden for people the moment we lose the burden to serve people, um, it becomes self-serving in our efforts, it, and and without a burden for people, there's no sustainability in our ministry, and so I'm I I have to constantly go back to what Jesus did and how Jesus moved about from city to city and what stirred his heart. I mean, we, we have this incredible example that we find in Jesus. You want to talk about compassion and love. Um, it's, it's just all there in scripture. And so I've really had to dig deep and ask the Lord, Lord, give me a heart for people the way you have a heart for people. I want my heart to beat the way your heart beats for people. And, um, it, it, it's a constant dying to self because it is exhausting and uh, and it's New York City and people get on your nerves in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> like no other place in the world. It's just a tough city. Yeah. People can be mean. Right. Um, people are agitated. There is the hustle and the grind of New York City. It's every man for himself. It's get out my way, you know, and there are a lot of times where people don't appreciate what, y- we do as a church or as a ministry or just and 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 it's it's a it's a it's a constant uphill climb right but the burden it's the burden the burden of my heart what is the and so when 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 I look to work with people, whether creatively or outreach or ministry, or or we're getting ready to work on a new initiative or something that we want to do, I always challenge every person that plans on getting involved, why are you doing it? Do you have a burden for people? Because if there's no burden for people, then it's a real question as to why you're getting involved. Mm-hmm.
3: That's awesome. That's that's something that challenges even myself. And I, you know, i I've shared with you how much we do in the schools at this church. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, if we don't have a burden for, you know, the students that we go into the schools for, then what's the point of taking time the time to let go? Yeah. Uh, you know, we mentioned, I'll talk on the phone, and we've talked about it some a little bit. Uh, you have a, a program that you that you work with called God Belongs in Our City. Oh, yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, we Eric and I have uh, done some research on it and, and asked you some questions. But, uh, you know, Inner city families are just different, and, yeah. and you know I think this this ministry here uh, directs their ministry to these families. God big belongs time. in our city. So, yeah. why don't you uh, take a few minutes and explain what what that ministry really does? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, big shout out to my buddy, very good friend, Danny Sanabria, who is the founder and director of God Belongs in My City, um, and he, uh, he's doing an incredible job. And uh, you want to talk about a guy who has a burden for people. Uh, specifically a burden for young people it really is amazing um just in, in, in 2008 just let me i'll get right to just a little bit of the history um and here's why it's just so dear to me because it's it's unique in the sense that this thing has been shaped created and continues to evolve around just one thing prayer and in 2008 um a, a campaign started in new york city one million new Yorkers are fine without God, are you one? That was a campaign, it was on on billboards Mm -hmm. all throughout the city, every borough. One million New Yorkers are fine without God, are you one of them? Or something like that, it was like the the question. Now Danny Sanabria, part of a small church in Park Slope, Brooklyn, pastors, he's, he's a youth pastor, he's, I mean, honestly pastors, he's got just a handful of kids. But he had three kids who were his student leaders um, that were really committed, really stirred up for the things of God, saw this campaign, and they came to Danny Sanabria and said, "What do we do about it?" And he was like, oh, uh, "I don't, I don't know, guys. Well, I tell you what, we can just pray." And so this guy Danny Sanabria and three teenagers just started praying. Uh, just through a couple of weeks, they just began to pray, and as they were praying and as they were seeking God, the phrase came up, "God belongs in my city," and so. Teenagers being teenagers, went to social media, and at that time, it was 2008, so you know Twitter and Instagram didn't have, and Snapchat didn't have as strong as a presence as, as, as FB, so they put out on Facebook, uh, God belongs in my city, let's meet up in Central Park, God belongs in my city, and so of course, they're sharing this, and they're passing this on, and, uh, and it's just, it just came out of prayer, three teenagers and a youth pastor. Praise God for three teenagers and a youth pastor. Praise God for all the mega youth ministries and the mega youth conferences. But three teenagers and a youth pastor can make a world of a difference, literally and specifically as we see with this incredible ministry. So they set a date in October 2008, and they show up in Central Park, um, which is the upper west side of Manhattan, and 1,500 teenagers show up in Central Park that day. Oh, and they also created their own T-shirt. Wow. <laughs> so these three teenagers were other teenagers, and they were like, hey, man, this is a campaign that's out. Let's create this little T-shirt. Let's meet up. And all these little youth groups just started to connect on Facebook. 1,500 teenagers met in Central Park, walked down to Grand Central Station. Um, y'all might not know where that is, but that's about a 45-minute, maybe close to an hour walk from Upper West Side to downtown uh, Manhattan. And they walked just quietly at times worshiped, at times just stopped at a particular location, took a moment to just pray. They walked all the way to Grand Central Station, which is a very busy station where people are moving in and out. And so imagine 1,500 teenagers walking into Grand Central Station with the same T-shirt on. They all get down on their knees in Grand Central Station, pray for eight minutes. It was only eight minutes that first time. They pray for eight minutes quietly. Nobody said a word, just quietly. After eight minutes of quiet prayer, they get up from where they were, where from where they were, and they all go to lunch and call it a day. Anyway, that one moment created a ripple effect across the country and overseas. It was huge. And so it just, just through social media, suddenly there was this buzz that teenagers will still get up in the morning on a Saturday and do a prayer walk. Wait, their favorite artist didn't show up their favorite communicator, their favorite preacher didn't show up. Nobody coaxed them with pizza at the end of the walk. Nobody promised them free Chick-fil-A. There was no concert, nothing. What are we doing on this Saturday? You sure we're not going to the movies afterwards? No, we're actually just gonna pray for our city. And that became a phenomena within Christian community throughout the tri-state first, where it doubled the second year in 2009. So it's like Almost 3,000 teenagers, youth pastors, young adults all met, and this time we met at Battery Park, Lower East Side, where we walked all the way up to Times Square Church, and that's when I had the opportunity to be a part of it. So I wasn't there in 2008, but 2009, I got to do the prayer walk, and then I was working with a particular artist where we actually wrote an uh, an anthem song for the prayer walk um, that went viral, and then from there, a greater ripple effect. Um, and now these prayer walks, God belongs in my city are happening all over the country and overseas.
3: So how many of those prayer walks happen a year in New York city?
2: It's, um, there are sometimes some pre prayer walks that happen in particular cities, depending on maybe something that's happened in a particular borough. Um, but it's always an annual prayer walk the last Saturday of the month of October. So this will be the 10th prayer walk that's coming up at the end of October this year and uh, we're super excited and uh, and that's all it is. Pastors, that's all it is. It's just young people, and so there are, there are strategic places to our city where we stop and we just pray. Um, I mean, it's it's evolved a little bit. So you know, and now now we got like a, a megaphone, and we get one person on that megaphone, and they just start they start praying, and then there are some places where we just start worshiping, depending on where we are. Uh, so we have strategic stop points that finally lead up to. You might know of the infamous red stairs that are right there in Times Square. We consume those red stairs and just spills out right onto the street. And the police department make the walk with us so that no one disrupts us. They've come to embrace it and support it. They're like, with all this stuff that's going on with teenagers in our city, of course we're going to back up 2,000-plus teenagers and young adults walking from Lower East Side all the way to Midtown. Well, Pastor David,
1: it, there have been so many sermons that you have preached that have spoken directly into my life. I mm. remember there was one. I don't know if you remember this sermon, but you preached one out of Acts called Shake It Off. Mm. You remember yeah. that sermon? Yes, I do. Oh, my yeah. goodness. <laughs> and, you know, the prayer time at the end of that sermon, that was in a particularly very trying time in my life. Mm. And it's like the Lord just sent that right at the right time yeah. and it, and and the prayer time at the end uh to this day means so much to me. Uh one of the questions that I wanted to ask you because we know that discouragement is one of the choice weapons uh, of our enemy. Yeah. And it comes to everyone whether they're in ministry or not, whether, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if they've been saved <laughs> a week or if right. they've been saved for decades. Satan knows how to bring discouragement into yes. our life. Yes. How have you found personally to fight against that discouragement?
2: Oh, man, I'm still fighting, Pastor. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's
1: important because it never goes away, does it? No. It's not one of those things where you get victory one time. Right. And you'll never have to. It, it, it right. continuously tries to come back. And, yes. and a lot of Christians don't know that.
2: Right. This is an ongoing battle. Yes. I mean this is why we get that little passage of scripture that says resist the devil and he has to flee. And that's because there has to, that, 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 that little portion of scripture is telling me we are going to be pushed and shoved and attacked and we have to resist. Like it's, I'll say it this way. Um, you know, I've been in the position of associate pastor for four years and, um, and in the first year, second year, second year, it just felt really overwhelming. I was emotionally exhausted, and and I'm saying this not saying that I'm like free from it now. Like no, no, no. I'm just I'm gonna be very honest to all of you that are listening right now. I'm 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 gonna keep it real with you the way we do in New York. All right, <laughs> like it, it is emotionally exhausting. Uh, you know when we are fully surrendered and fully committed to the will of God. Um, there is a battle that, that we fight, um, in the faith and in the spirit. And it was the second year in, I just, I was bugging out, like, what's going on up here in my brain right now? Like there were times where I could feel like I couldn't even concentrate in worship, you know, like that curtain went up and I was like, no, bring the curtain down. I'm not ready, (laughs) you know? And I didn't have to preach that morning. Um, I was just there. But I remember I was like, I'm tired, I'm overwhelmed, I can't even process everything that's in my mind right now. Like, this is just strange, Lord. Like, I just want to hide. I want to hide somewhere. I want to quit. And I was having all of these thoughts, and it was just such an attack of the enemy um, to discourage me, to to cause me to feel like um, I'm not qualified. Uh, And I don't deserve to be here. And I'm like, "What? I I can't do this. And Pastor Carter preached. And I don't remember what he preached, but this is what I remember. We went into a worship song. The altar call was really powerful. And then the curtain came down. And When the curtain came down, I was standing there. Pastor Patrick was standing there and myself. And Pastor Carter just turns and looks at me right in the face and goes, Dave, we're fighting hell every single day and today is one of those tough days and like my (laughs) tears swelled up in my eyes because it was like the Lord spoke to him right there in that moment to encourage me and to not just encourage me but to encourage me through his own suffering. Mm -hmm. Pastor Carter spoke like that candidly with this transparency in that moment because he was wrestling with the same thing that I was wrestling with in that moment. And this might sound like weird, but no, it's not. Because sometimes it's it's good for the soul to know you're not the only one in the fight. And it sure is good, excuse me, to know that somebody who has been in the fight way longer than you, far more mature in his faith than you um, is feeling the same way. <laughs> just I don't it's like it's like it's like two ways here on this. you know it's like in one way I'm like, oh great, wait. so you mean to tell me that by the time I'm in my 60s, I'm still like, oh, I gotta fight hell, man <laughs> <laughs> you know but at the same time in another way I was like, oh man, wow this giant in the faith. Is standing right beside me and knows exactly how I feel. And I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And I think my my encouragement to anybody who's just emotionally exhausted, feels like throwing in the towel, that 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 awful attack of depression or inadequacy, or I can't go on. You have to reach out and ask for help. You have to, you have to believe that you're not the only soldier in the trenches fighting for your life, trusting in faith that, God, you're going to have the final say, and I am going to get the victory because you're my God, and I'm your child. And I I have learned to lock arms with fellow brothers in the faith. I mean, mean, this is why I get excited to travel and to come out. Like, you know, I posted something I think recently just on, on on social media, like, I love building with other brothers in the faith. I love seeing what other men and women of faith are doing in other places. I, I love seeing how you fight. And as we encourage each other, we can remind one another, oh, we're, we're going to win this. Yes. Okay, there's, 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 there's no loss that's going to happen yes. for us because we belong to the King of Kings.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: How encouraging! And you know, as we as we watch families in our own community, that's one thing that we see is Satan. So often, will try to isolate people. Yes, he'll isolate believers. He'll even isolate churches. He'll isolate pastors. And and we just we're so much more vulnerable when we're isolated. But as you said, when we lock arms, when we lock shields with other believers, that's right, Pastor. What a difference that makes!
2: Praise God. Amen. Mm.
0: So, not to shift gears too much, but I. Yeah. The whole time you've been talking, there's been this one question that's been in my head for whatever reason. So your father of three three children, mm-hmm. two of which are teenagers. So <laughs> and you said, pray for me, pastor. You said that uh, you said I believe it was your son is your oldest, correct? Yes. And he's um, about to go through that same stage in his life that you went through. Yeah. Um, when you were fighting your calling. So how are you as his dad? and to your other kids, too, yeah. Um, with the understanding of where you were when you were his age, how are you keeping him encouraged and building your kids up as someone that works for such a influential church?
2: Yeah, yeah. So what are you trying to do, make me cry on the show? Absolutely. That, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is such a good question, and that, that hits home for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it was about a year ago I – Uh, I, there was some things that I saw with my kids just in their faith. Um, just an area where they were starting to question and wonder. Um, and I was doing a bit of traveling and I just felt like there was a bit of a disconnect between me and my kids. And, um, I was like, just really wrestling within like, Hey God, am I doing enough? Um, and then I was really, I, I, at one point I came to the point I was like, okay, I, I think I'm just a whack dad. Like, man, why is it that I can be like really good with like other kids, youth events, youth conferences? I mean, I'm like, I feel like I, I got a grasp on being able to stand in front of a bunch of teenagers, preach Jesus and see them respond. But why is it that like sometimes I can come home and I don't know what to say? like to my own kids, like, and, uh, God would begin to deal with my heart. Like, you know what, I'm your father and you're my son and you're going to have to trust me just as much as you trust me when you step out to preach. Like there, there, there's no downtime for you as a minister of the gospel you you you've got you've got to be that man who is operating in the spirit and trusting the spirit at home as much as you do when you step out on a platform, and then and then God I felt like he has a, you know he has a sense of humor, and I felt like God also said what makes you think that you got it all together like what are you expecting to be the perfect dad like because you're not you're flawed you're broken. You're going to say the wrong things to your kids. You're going to not know what to say sometimes. And you desperately need me to work in you and through you as to what to say to your children. So trust me, because you do not get the MVP dad award around here. Like, And you're going to have to just understand that. And I think um, <laughs> I, I remember just getting that reality check with the Lord, like, like okay, God, yeah, I, I have to fight for my kids and I have, I have to learn from you. I have to stay in the word, you know, because again, pastors with, with our, with our kids, it's like, you know, and I don't want to be long winded, but you know, I, I, there were seasons in my life where like, and my dad will even confess it. There, there were There were times in his life where he was very legalistic with me and my brothers, you know? So then, I've made the mistake of being like the the polar opposite by trying to stretch the parameters with my kids. And like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not going to leave them in this tight place with these boundaries where they feel like, no, because if I do that, then they'll rebel like immediately. And I'm like overthinking all of this and not realizing just the power of God's grace to allow me to just speak from my heart, be vulnerable with my kids. It's not a matter of how wide the parameters should be or how narrow they should be like that. It's, it's about relationship, you know? And, um, and I, and I'll say it right now for all those that are listening, I, I haven't figured it all out yet, but I do know that I got a son to answer your question. I got a son who's a senior and most likely he's going to go away to college. I've got one more year. To pour into him, to love him, to embrace him, to embrace him with his flaws and his failures, to embrace him with his achievements and his challenges and, and his goals, and then just trust that the Holy Spirit's going to keep him every day you know
0: so for parent because you know we're the reason you're here with us um, is for a student gathering for yeah. a student event that's that's why you're here, yeah, um, so I think it's important to talk about maybe something practical for parents, maybe something you do that's tangible and practical with their students in in a time where being a kid is really, really hard.
2: Yeah. Uh, In my home, all of my kids' questions are safe at home, and um, we allow all questions to be asked. I've had some hard questions uh, given to me by my 14-year-old right now, my daughter, and she's like, so she just the other day, she's like, Dad, you mean to tell me that all of my friends that – are doing really well in school, have good parents at home, really nice people, really kind. But you mean to tell me that if they're not surrendered to Jesus, that if they die like in an accident or a drunk driver takes them, that they're going to hell? Like, is is that the kind of God we serve? Like, that's that's a that's a tough question, you know, right? Um, and I, I've al- I've I've allowed her to ask those questions and um, I've allowed her to say, wait, so but how do we like really, really, really know that the one that we serve is the one um, and only true God, you know? Now for me, thank God there, there, diff- there's so many, so many stories. Uh, I, I'll encourage parents to this, take, take moments practically to, to look at the journey that you've been on with your kids and tell real true stories of how Jesus showed up to save you and to save your household. So I flipped it right on my daughter, right? Because at six years old, she had a severe case of pneumonia um, where her, she, she almost drowned, her lungs were fully encased um, and uh, rushed right into emergency surgery. And uh, the beauty of that story is um, she was in severe pain um, uh, screaming out. It was a whirlwind moment when the doctors came, put her on the little bed and were like, she has to go into surgery now or she'll die of this pneumonia. Um, and we're going down this long hallway, my wife and I standing there. We're hysterically crying, but we're trying to keep it all together for for my daughter, Zaina. And all of a sudden, she starts singing this little song that her grandmother taught her. It goes like this. Jesus, love is a bubbling over. Jesus, love is bubbling over, and that was the jingle. That was like this little, just little Christian jingle that my my mother-in-law and my daughter would sing. And here's my six-year-old girl, just out of nowhere, right before she goes under, she just starts singing that song. And so I'm telling her now this story at fourteen, in this practical way about how mom and dad were scared. And our faith was being tested, but you at six had a stirring in boldness and the spirit of God came over you that brought peace to mommy and daddy. And you began to worship when I didn't have a worship song in my heart and it rocked her. This was just this week. We had this conversation and she got real quiet. And she felt like she was important. <laughs> <You know? laughs> she felt like she was important. And I didn't even need to go far because also, too, as much as we, we give them room to ask questions, give them room to process the, the answers themselves, too, without putting a smack down. Like, you no, know, I'm the pastor. I'm your dad. And this is it.
1: Well, Pastor David, we so much appreciate you being our guest today, and you coming from New York to Tennessee to speak at our church and be a part of the student event this week. Mm -hmm. It just means the world to us. There is one final question that I wanted to ask, and uh, the primary reason is because... I look up to Times Square so much. As I told you a moment ago, I have a little crush on Times Square uh-huh. Church. You know, <laughs> no. it's, it's like when I grow up, I want us to be them. You oh, know, man, <laughs> but man. but but in in all seriousness, in a biblical way, I really do mean that. I, when I think of Times Square Church, I think of what Paul wrote of the Thessal, uh, of the church of Thessalonica mm-hmm. in 1 Thessalonians 1 he said in chapter 1 he said everywhere i go Macedonia Achaia everywhere i go you have trumpeted you have sounded forth mm-hmm. you know that means literally to blow trumpets yes of god's glory yes and everywhere i go i hear of your love for the lord our goal has never been to fill every single chair in our auditorium that's never been our goal our goal is to influence people mm. with the gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's what Times Square Church has done for me, and, and especially as a pastor. It's, you guys have modeled to me that everything that I do, this is when the Lord really began to deal with me concerning prayer for our church. The Lord began to show me that everything that I do as a pastor models as well as everything I don't do. Mm. So if my people never hear me pray, Passionate, genuine, Hmm. authentic prayers. Yes. Yes. We if we go through a service and all of the music sounds great and there were no hiccups and everything was executed well, and there was never even a a a genuine prayer prayed, Hmm. how have we glorified God with that day? Right. You know, we can plan a service and God not even really be there. That's right. And 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 who wouldn't even notice? So God began to deal deeply with me. Concerning these things and your model for prayer and the way that you do prayer services, when the Lord told us um, about a year and a half ago to begin doing weekly prayer services, mm. I really was afraid you would hear crickets chirping, you know, mm. like there wouldn't be anyone here because there's no, for <clears throat> at least for us, the way we do it as of now until the Lord changes it, we don't do live music and there are no bells and whistles. Right. Right. We come to pray, yeah. and that's the lion's share of everything that happens. And and I didn't know if people would come. And now people say all the time, it is just, it's different. Wow. It's special, and it's different. And I think the Lord honors it yes, he does. in a different way. And Times Square Church has been a huge influence on on the way that we view the importance of prayer Mm -hmm. in our community and in our church. Mm -hmm. So my question, Pastor, is, you know, I imagine being located where you are there on Broadway and uh, and, and having, being number one in such an influential place, but also being an influential church, and you've got many churches like us that are looking to you, uh, how, how do you avoid, as a pastoral staff, as leadership, How do you avoid distractions that even good opportunities that may come, things that, you know, uh, God doesn't necessarily want you to do, but they would be a distraction to prayer, and yet you always keep prayer at that priority. How do you do
2: that? Yes. Oh, such a good question. Um, uh, Four years ago, when I first came on board as an associate pastor, I remember our first pastor's elders luncheon. It's kind of like a lunch meeting. And it's held in between services, between the 10 and 3 o'clock. And I didn't know what to expect. So I come in, we sit down, eat a very nice meal. And then after the meal's over, Pastor Carter says, I just want to take some time today and go around and uh, everyone just kind of share, maybe just one, how long you've been here at Times Square Church. And then two, just a little something about yourself in regards to your role here at Times Square Church. So I'm going oh man, I've only been here for a year. So what am I going to say? And, uh, and in my mind, I was thinking about just maybe sharing something that I was doing or leading in my responsibilities at TSE. So the first person goes and he says, oh, I've been here, um, for about 20 plus years. And he said, no, uh, yeah, about 20 plus years. And he goes, and I'm thankful. Um, and, um, if it wasn't for the Lord, uh, I wouldn't be here. Um, I have, I have made some tough mistakes in the journey, but God has been faithful and gracious. And then he just stops. And everyone's just like, amen. And then the next person goes, I've I've been here 25 years, and um, I just thank God by his grace, um, only because of what Jesus has done. I'm here. Uh, It's been some highs and lows just as a father, as a husband. And from him on to another 10 people, All of them expressing their gratitude, the grace of God, and highlighting their human frailty rather than their achievements and accomplishments. And right there in that moment, I realized, oh, this is how these men have been standing together for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. There is a level of brokenness and humility that always demands that Christ Jesus gets the glory and by the time they got to me, as you guys can see, it's easy for me to cry <laughs> by the time they got to me I was a mess. I was like I was just blown away by the power of a testimony I mean this this is what Paul and Peter were writing about when they were talking about how we can boast in our weakness because it's in our weakness that Christ Jesus is made strong and I'm like, Oh my goodness, they, they are truly living this out. They're living out the word that says, give all glory to Jesus Christ. And so since that meeting, I've made it a note that before that curtain goes up, I, I, I make a, my own little personal declaration to the Lord. And it, it, out know, when, when the psalmist wrote in Psalm 144 and he said, who am I that you are mindful of me? And, and then my other prayer is, Lord, keep me in awe of you. And those are my two thoughts that come to mind every single week as that curtain rises. Who am I that you are mindful of me, that you would give me this opportunity to stand before people? And God, keep me in awe of you. So that we never come to a place where we are in awe of ourselves, in awe of Times Square Church and in awe of our exploits and achievements and accomplishments and and messages. It has simply been the grace of God. And then because of that mindset and that attitude, it brings us to our knees. I don't know if you know, Pastor Carter and the elders, they're on the phone every morning, Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. No, I'm sorry. 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. When it was Pastor David Wilkerson, it was at 4 a.m. to 5 a.m. For years with the elders. And then when, when Pastor Carter stepped in, he gets on the prayer call on a 4 a.m. call and he goes, hey, brothers, you, you, you ever consider maybe we bumped that up to 6 o'clock a.m.? And all the elders were like, hey, man, yes, praise God, thank, Yes, thank you so much. But for years, Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. They're praying. That uh, that's the uh, that's the uh, those are the the cornerstones of of Times Square Church. Mm-hmm. If you ever want to know where the what the foundation looks like, it's these men of faith, along with Elder Vicki Griffin, uh, one of the ladies who's an elder, our worship leader, on the phone in the morning, 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. Praying and seeking the face of God. You know, Pastor Carter um, says something quite often. He goes, "Well." We need to pray because if we don't pray, nothing happens. And uh, I say amen to that. And It's been an honor to be um, on this podcast. I'm grateful. And Pastor, you've asked me to close in prayer. And so we just want to take some time, just whoever's listening, just to encourage you in prayer uh, as we just go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord God, for who you are as faithful, as our Savior, Mm. as King, and as Lord of our lives. Lord, you are faithful to keep us. And for anybody who's listening that might be discouraged, overwhelmed, emotionally exhausted, tired, weary because of the trials maybe that they're facing, circumstances that are unfortunate. God, I ask that you would stir their hearts to believe once again that you are going to see them through the storm. God, you caused the storm to stop simply by the power of your word. And so, Lord, I'm asking, Father, that you would step in in the middle of someone's storm right now and you would give them hope, knowing that you are faithful to see them through Faithful to provide, faithful to strengthen, faithful to heal the physical body, faithful to heal the mind, the heart. I thank you, Lord, just as you've done in my life. You've kept me in the darkest of times where I have been in a valley, unable to find my way out. But God, because of your amazing grace, you reach down and you pull us out of the pit. So Lord, I'm just asking right now by the power of your spirit that there would be a cry that would come. From the hearts of those that just believe, even with just a mustard seed of faith, a cry that says, Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I look to you now. And God, I pray that faith would rise up in their hearts and that they would believe, Lord God, for a greater day. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. And so, Lord, we trust you as you continue to write our story. Our story will end in victory because of the finished work of the cross. I thank you, God. We put our trust completely in you. I pray, Lord God, that you would call men and women to go to a deeper place in their faith walk, a deeper trust, a deeper commitment, fully surrendered to your will. In your name, I pray. Amen and amen. Amen. amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Preaching Christ Church podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Facebook by searching Preaching Christ Church. And if you like this episode and want to hear more great content, consider downloading our free mobile app called Awakened to Grace. Also, if you're a high school or college student, or maybe you know someone who is, encourage them to download a free app designed specifically for them called the Student App. It's packed with great content and resources designed specifically for high school and college students in the issues they face today. We're so grateful that you joined us for this episode of the Preaching Christ Church podcast.